Hey guys, DJ here. This is a disclaimer. Applied Materials is a 100% non-profit, fan-made project set within the Orpheus Protocol game system. The Orpheus Protocol is an actual play podcast and tabletop role-playing game system created by Rob Stith and published by Varkalak Press. If you'd like to know more, please check out the main podcast at www.orpheusprotocol.com and patreon.com slash orpheusprotocol if you'd like to show more support for the main podcast. Thank you for your time, and please enjoy the following episode. Welcome to Applied Materials, an Orpheus Protocol actual play podcast. My name is DJ and I will be your host for tonight. On the cast list for our journey into the unknown, Pinky as Robbie, Ross as James Castillo, Seth as Oro Eldridge. Tonight's episode, Crossroads, Part 2. Crossroads contains violence, otherworldly landscapes, strange fauna, and a return to a world on fire. Consider this your warning. Previously on Applied Materials, the Magi set to work in preparing a route for the unknown strangers in the other world while also investigating the Applied Materials' presence in the strange jungle, wondering just how their enemies got there first. Uh, last time where we left off, you guys were on a plateau next to a waterfall that overlooked a nice big scenic valley. You had just met the man in bandages, you had accepted his offer of power, shook his hand, and promptly fell asleep. Within your dream state, you gained power, perhaps a reminder of your past, or a portent of things to come. And now, as you wake, you find yourselves on the same plateau. From where the sun is in the sky, it appears that maybe a good two, two and a half hours have passed. But to you, it feels like it's been much, much longer than that. It feels like you've been asleep for hours. At this point in time, when you regain consciousness, you look around, and you can see that Craig and Holly and Bob have basically set up a small camp around you since you had fallen unconscious. And I'd like to know who would like to be awake first. Oro has a pretty decent vigilance. I imagine he'd wake up pretty early. All right. Oro, as you slowly regain consciousness, you groggily sit up, shaking a bit of sleep out of your vision. And then you hear in your mind, Craig say, Oro, are you okay? Takes a big, deep breath in, looks around, closes his eyes for like 20, 30 seconds, and then opens them again. Um, yeah, I think I'm alive and he, then he looks around to see if like bandage man is still here <laughs> he is gone however as you sit up you feel a small object sort of clatter off of your chest and land on one of your thighs and when you look down you see that little ring box sitting on your leg the same one that you saw in your dream the one that you held and when you pick it up and open it, you see that small vial of blood sitting inside this box. Earl probably goes pale. Like, he probably is, like, didn't... <laughs> like, it's real. Fuck. Um, and then he looks to James and Robbie and sees if they're, like, here and okay, because he hasn't heard their voices yet. At this point, Robbie, you are the next person to wake up. Robbie is awake but not moving. Like, I would open my eyes but not actually move, and I will whisper, Sally. The first thing that you see when you open your eyes, Robbie, is Sally's face just an inch from your eyes and the bridge of your nose. She is staring at you just intently, and when you open your eyes and whisper her name, she has this delighted chitter as she sort of hugs your face or as close to a hug as she can manage. Little tiny little arms kind of wrapped around your cheeks. Sally, we've talked about this before. You can see Sally sort of sit up and let go of your face. And she has this look on her face that kind of says, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. 
I love you too. Now, please don't do that. Um, how long has it been? Because it feels like a very long time. You hear Craig's voice in your head and he says, It's only been about two, two and a half hours, Robbie. You kind of shook hands with that weird dude and then you fell unconscious. Um, at this point, I will actually look around. And, uh, and we've just been lying here. You probably find Oro staring at you like with that look, intense look of like, are you really okay? Like he doesn't say it, but like. I'll look, look back with a sort of shrug of, um, I'm not sure. He shrugs back. <laughs> As you take stock of your surroundings, Robbie, you sit up, kind of rub your eyes, and then you feel a little tug on the front of your shirt. When you look down at your lap, you can see that Sally's sitting on one of your thighs, and she appears to be holding a small golden acorn that you recognize. It's the same acorn from your dream, the same one that that weird man had given you in your workshop. Put my hand out for it, and may I? Sally nods. She holds up the acorn for you. Thank you. And, and I'll have a look at it and go, oh, oh. And I'll look at Sally, and then back at the acorn, and then back at Sally again. <laughs> oh. Sally's looking at you. Her head is slightly tilted to one side, kind of questioning look on her face. We need to talk. We need to have a long talk. Uh, here you go. You take very good care of that and give her back the acorn. Sally nods as she accepts the acorn in both of those cute little hands. I'll give her a little scratch. Her tail thumps against your leg. Chitter, chitter. James, you are the last to wake up. Everyone suddenly sees motion in the periphery of their vision if they're not looking in the direction where we all fell unconscious. James rolls over and starts to enter that you're not actually awake but you're probably going to be awake shortly state of consciousness as soon as like i'm awake enough to register that there are people talking and i'm hearing stuff it i think is the point where i'm going to actually really begin to wake up and at that point i can hear holly possibly Oro, possibly Robbie. And as soon as I open my eyes and I look up, everything is wonderful until I sit up and see everything that's actually around us. And just my face is just like, I look crestfallen. I don't know why I thought we wouldn't be here. I think I was thinking the same thing. I nod. James, you can see that next to you. Robbie and Oro are both awake. They are both sitting up, taking stock of their surroundings. And you can see some strange things on their person. Oro appears to be holding some sort of tiny ring box, like the sort of box you would have a wedding ring in or a wedding band. While Robbie, specifically Sally, appears to be holding a small little glowing spherical-ish object. You can't quite tell what it is until... You've also sat up and rubbed sleep from your eyes, at which point you realize it's an acorn. A golden, shiny acorn. But just as these thoughts are registering in your mind, when you shift awake, you can feel something sharp press against the inside of your chest. It feels like the corner of some sort of card or a piece of paper. And when you check the inner pocket of your jacket, you find a postcard tucked into that pocket and you recognize that postcard is the postcard from your dream wish you were here i'd say that out loud to myself not to anyone in particular yeah it's the same postcard the one with your signature the one with jackie's signature the get well soon written on the back and the image on the front that says welcome to flat rock and for a moment i'm just regarding this postcard-sized thing I have in my hand. Yeah, Robbie, when you hear James say this, you turn to your right and see that he's sort of sitting up where he was sprawled out on this plateau not a moment ago. He appears to be holding some sort of card in his hands. It looks like a postcard. Sending mail to yourself now? I guess it's... I sent this at some point. 
I'm not going to go into specifics about when I sent this, when this card's actually from, but I am going to, with an audible, start to pick myself up off the ground. James, you feel sore, but you don't feel like you're actually physically injured. It feels like you've been at the gym, you've done every single exercise for every single muscle in your body, and it is aching. Not painful, just the sort of dull healing ache that you have after, like, the day or two after a long, tiring gym visit. Or maybe, perhaps, recovering from an ill-fated mission. There's a slight stiffness, awkward movement, a momentary limp when James finally is standing up and takes those first few staggers toward... I think as soon as I see Holly and Craig, I'm going to start heading over to whatever type of camp they've set up, whatever equipment they have out. It is a small-ish setup. From what you can gather, they haven't been at this for too long. There is no fire. There are no tents. Bob appears to be sort of keeping watch of the surrounding area. And Holly appears to be mimicking him, except on the other side of your little circle. And Craig is sitting on the ground, just watching the three of you as you wake up and he sees you james and he says into your mind finally all three of you are awake i admit that was kind of scary did anything happen while we were out craig shakes his head and he says no no nothing all i saw was the three of you shook that weird guy's hand and then you all just fell unconscious and we've been sitting here ever since. It's only been like two-ish hours, really. What happened to the weird guy after he shook our hands and we fell asleep? I don't know. We were all so concerned that you had fallen flat on hard stone that when I next look up, he was gone. Uh... I'm going to assume that the two of you both had experiences that were equally as extraordinary as mine, though I presume different. And I look towards Oro. With how you were looking at that ring box and how you, and I looked down at Sally, how you were looking at that acorn. I believe you're right. And I have the postcard in my hand. I can't even begin to describe right now. I need to, I need to do a bit of processing because that was wild. And that's not a word I use very often. Wild, to be sure. I would agree. He holds the box towards Robbie and James and I would like at some point when we're back at a lab if you could help me make sure that this is what it is um I'll explain more later but a second opinion is never a bad idea when you're talking about he opens the box and shows them you know weird serums that might destroy your body and or cure it Just closes the box and kind of puts it in whatever pocket he has that makes sense yeah, Robbie and James, when Oro opens that little ring box, you see nestled within the little cushions on the bottom of the box, there is a small glass vial filled with a dark red liquid. Oh, I would love to get a look at that. But you're right, now is not the time. Sally, if you wouldn't mind, show the others what we have. Sally nods and she scampers up onto your shoulder so that everyone else can see her better. And she holds out that glowing little golden acorn. James and Oro, yeah, you see this. Yep, I'm... Definitely more than a dream. Okay. I know what an acorn is, but I've never seen a gold one. Uh, well, yeah, it's not paint, is it? <laughs> no, nor does it look like it's been made by hand. Like, what is this? I I don't want to say right now. Probably say I was absolutely mad. Even considering where we are right now and everything we've been through, you'd probably say I was completely mad. Oro's hand almost unconsciously goes to the pocket where he has the box in when you say mad. And he kind of nods at you. He's like, mm, yeah, but, yeah, we're all kind of a little crazy right now. <laughs> I'd like to know what is your vigilance at, all three of you? No need to make me an active roll, just what is your vigilance? Mine is a three. Two. It's a two. Oro, you hear a phone ringing, and it's not yours. Okay, that, that would be his first check, and then... Whose phone is that? Listen, do you... Some, someone's phone's ringing? What the... Listen, 
now all three of you hear the distinct sound of a phone on silent buzzing on a hard surface. Stands frantically looking for the phone. He's assuming people are helping. <laughs> on the stone floor in front of you, near the edge of the plateau, where the water roars off the cliff face into the valley below, perched on top of a folded piece of paper is a very simple, very early 2000s, all black cell phone. And you can see that it is ringing with an unknown number displayed on the caller ID. I'm afraid to answer it. If nobody else ends up moving towards the phone, after a moment, like I will probably end up going to see. The screen say there's a number, and if yes or no. The last call we got here was from the man in bandages. He could be calling back. But I will be waiting a moment to see if anyone reacts. As soon as you notice the phone, and Oro, you sort of say that to the open air, Holly and Bob and Craig all turn around and they all see this phone too. They're all kind of staring at the three of you rather expectantly, and then you hear Holly say, Go on, answer it, don't keep him waiting, if that's who I think it is. Uh, I'll go and pick it up then. Alright, Robbie, you pick up the phone, you press answer. Hello? Hey, you three. Sorry I couldn't stay. I had some things to take care of on the other side. I did leave you this phone, though, and a map to help you. You can use the phone as a guide and the map as well. Because, well, if you take a look, it's an area view of this valley. And right on the other side of it, I've got some friends waiting for you. To take you home. Friends. Yes, friends that you might recognize. Or at least, they work for the same people that you do. As it stands, the fates have aligned somehow. I was originally going to just give you a route to where you could figure out your own way home, but looks like one of my friends has sent their friends over to come and get you. I marked it with an X. Your rescuers should be there right now. I'm not sure what you're doing, but safe to say that whatever they're doing, they've probably prepared a way for you, or are doing so right now. Don't give up. You're on the home stretch now. I'm rooting for you. Thank you. Um, what was that? What was what? You know what I mean. It's the way that I find to be most comfortable talking with people, bonding over an experience, something that you've gone through. Don't worry about it. If it's anything, I've done this for so many people in this. People whose fates and destinies are intertwined in this twisted web that spans across time, space, interlinked with the destiny of the world and the universe. Remember, I'm on your side. And he hangs up. Damn it. Okay. Alright, I'll open up the map and wander back over. Pocket the phone. The map that you unfold appears to be not a hand-drawn map, but a satellite image of this area. It seems to correspond with the more crude map that you found in the Valley of Plenty, the city further up the valley. The landmarks kind of correspond to the stuff that you see. You can find that on this aerial picture, you can see the waterfall, the plateau, and then the lake down below that the waterfall feeds into. And on the other end, near a bend in the river, Downstream, you find a big red X drawn on this picture in what looks to be red sharpie. Oh, I'll, I'll have laid the map out on the table and just let, I don't know, maybe put some stones on the corner or something so everyone can have a look. There is no route detailed on this map, but you can see that despite it being an aerial picture, you can see that this plateau that you're standing on, it does feed into a valley with a river in the center. The jungle seems to surround it, and the river appears to go on for quite some distance before reaching a clearing. This clearing is where the river bends to the left, away from the clearing, and then it just continues down and into another valley, and then it disappears off the side of the picture. The clearing is a small one, barely anything there. It's, it is noticeable because it is a bare patch of green grass as opposed to the lush dark green tree canopy that you can see in the rest of the picture and it appears to be the bottom of some sort of segmented hill the segments appear to have been naturally carved through time and nature 
and there appears to be like a very small, very faint trail leading somewhere either up or down said hill that leads to this clearing. Um, I would call everyone over and say, do you think our best option is to try and follow this trail or maybe do another route? And How long do you think this is going to take us? As you go back to the rest of the group holding this picture, Holly takes a look at the map, quickly identifies the plateau that y'all are standing on, takes a little bit of time to calculate in her head, and then she says, I think this might be on the edge of how much provisions we've got left. Maybe three, four days march. Three if we're really fast and take a, well, a more direct route. And she sort of points to the lake, indicating that perhaps a quicker but less safe route would be to scale the sheer cliff face down onto the valley floor. Or we could take the time to go around. And she sort of points to an area to the left and the right of the waterfall where the ground seems to naturally curve inwards and downwards towards the actual valley floor. Going around would take longer, but it would be safer. I can always top up our provisions with a little bit of forage stuff. Bob is nodding along and Craig says, And this mystery caller didn't... Tell us what to expect at the end of this journey? Of course not. <sighs> They're only as helpful as they want to be. I mean, at least they gave us a map. Yeah, these fucking... I don't know, man. Working with Orpheus is cool and all, but when we deal with entities like this, it really just grinds my gears, you know? There are apparently friends waiting for us. Friends how so? Orpheus friends, allegedly. Orpheus? Wait, this guy knows Orpheus? He said people that work for the same people. Whatever that means. So interpret that however you wish. I'm... I mean, if he was talking the people that work with the same people we do, I don't see so many signal fires from the fucking US Army over there. This must be Orpheus. That's why I'm saying Orpheus. But I could be wrong. Craig nods kind of sits back, rubs his chin. I mean, there's not much we can do except to follow along, right? We have a few options. Most of them are crap. I would go with the option proposed by the mystery person that just knocked three of us out for several hours and gave us very intense dreams, not dreams, experiences. As beautiful and as wonderful as this place is, I... I would love to explore and investigate this place, but I don't. I don't have a lab. I can't do any experiments. I I would love to stay here, but I couldn't live here. I could live here, but I don't have a lab. You and me both, Robbie. You and me both. Holly stands up. She's slung her sniper rifle onto her back, and she says, "Well, the good news is the water here is potable. I mean, it's river water. It's." Probably coming from some glacier somewhere, maybe in the mountains behind us, but it's fresh water and it's, well, drinkable. Worst comes to worst, we might have worms or we might have food poisoning. Who knows? But at least the water is safe to drink. How long is the, the, the drop, the cliff drop? Longer than you think and probably very lethal if we fall. So you wouldn't recommend just going over the waterfall in a little thingy or something? Holly shakes her head and she says, Not unless you've got a barrel that can fit all six of us. Well, I don't happen to be carrying however many hundred feet of rope to abseil down. Well, I mean, we don't have to abseil. With a cliff this sheer and with the way that the ground slopes downwards, we could probably find a sort of path downwards that doesn't involve a whole lot of falling. Sure, there'd be a lot of abseiling, but we'd be able to remove each of the rope points and work our way down as needed. It would take a lot longer, but it would be, in the end, faster and less windy than going the long way around. But also, it'd be more dangerous. I'm fine with climbing, but I don't know how everyone else is with climbing. I can probably carry someone, if needed, or some of the gear. Uh, just motions at his hands and his fingers that he hasn't grown the nails out of yet because he you know, 
he doesn't want to be werewolf right now. But <laughs> probably be better off with you carrying gear rather than a person. I can hold my own if we're going to be climbing down the cliff. So are you guys going to take the long way around, or are you going to scale the sheer cliff? Robbie would vote for scaling. Yeah, I got a really good athletics, so... I'm going to... I've I've done, you know, my share of climbing in my life and my career so far. I'm going to walk to the edge of the plateau and look down at exactly how sheer the cliff face is, and I want to make just a raw cog roll to uh see if i think that any of us uh, but me in particular could like manage this okay make me that roll not great um with the one strain spent that's a two (laughs) yeah yeah no totally totally this will be fine yeah, James, you walk over to the edge of the cliff, you look down, and oh boy, it is very high up. The cliff is quite steep and sheer. However, there maybe is a route? You're not quite sure. Everything is quite dizzying from this height. I really think I really think we can handle this. I walk back and um I, I think we can I think we could handle finding a way down the cliff face, yeah. So, for the descent down this sheer cliff face, I would like all three of you to make me a collaborative role using either endurance with vitality or athletics with dexterity. Collaborative? No, don't make it collaborative. (laughs) Treacherous climbing is always a collaborative activity, because if you fuck up, everyone's going to die. (laughs) Okay, cool. Um... Before we go down, Oro stands and stretches and looks towards the sun. And he kind of, as he stretches, you hear more bones than should normally pop, start to pop. As he goes through a savagery rank two and a virility rank one partial transformation. Flat both times. Okay. Well... Um, endurance was plus vitality, yes? Yes. Oh, that's a two. Oh, well, I will chuck in the three. So, bring up to five. Is it, this is a collaborative role? Yes. If you want me to lead, I can get a really high number. And then if it, like, lowers because of other numbers, it won't be as detrimental, I hope. If you wish. I can get, I, that's fine. I, I, I can get a 12. Wow. Uh, with only spending temporary strain because of virility and savagery. It's what werewolves were made to do. Jump on shit. <laughs> Climb on shit. <laughs> Let's see how far the both of us reduce that. Because I was going to be going in with a six. I rolled a two on the dice with my vitality would make it a six, not spending strain. Or would it be better if someone with a lower number leads and then... I don't. Th- I think the math will end up working better if you lead. Yes, because if you if 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 you are tra- par- if you're partially transforming and then taking lead on this, ending up as probably except for maybe Craig, the strongest and most agile person here. Each of us are going to penalize you by one. And if you went into it with a 12, that would still be a final result higher than if I led. And it'd be about the same, yeah. So what's everyone's results? Um, 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 what do my motivations allow us to do again? It allows you to roll a d3 and add it to the result on your dice. It could be higher, because I've got a 5 at the moment, which is, th- and that's with added strain. Yeah, I think I might use a motivation... Uh, and try and bring that up because that's potentially uh, not as crap. <laughs> One, okay, that brings it up to a six. So Robbie with a six, Oro with a twelve, and James with a six. You unfortunately bring the grand total of the check down to a ten, which is fine because with Craig, Holly, and Bob's help, or at least with Craig and Holly's help, they bring the check back up to a twelve. 
So it works out a little something like this. The six of you spend a bit of time familiarizing yourself with the way to safely and securely rappel down a cliff. Holly and Bob show you how to tie climbing knots and how to use batons buried into rock. Craig with his four arms and Oro with his sheer strength and increased agility from his werewolf transformation make quick work of setting up belay stations down the sheer cliff face, burying pitons into the rock and extending ropes down from each of them to from flat surface to flat surface. It takes you the better part of the afternoon, and as the sun begins to set, the six of you begin your perilous descent down the side of this cliff. You know that by the time you get down to the valley floor, it's probably going to be nighttime, which means the six of you might need some light to finish getting down this cliff. Lee can help a little bit with that. I've got a torch. Don't know how much longer it's going to work for. Yeah, I didn't think about that. <laughs> well, Robbie has a torch. Who else has a flashlight or a torch? I have no idea if I have a flashlight on me. I don't think I do. I didn't write one down. I'm going to make a luck roll, if it's all right, to see if I have one. Sure, go ahead. I was about to ask you to do that anyway. That is a plus one. All right, so Robbie and James, the two of you have flashlights along with, well, Holly and Bob. And as you make your way down the cliff face, I want one of you to make me an athletics check with speed. Can be anyone, but I just want only one roll. I'll do it. Do I have that skill feature? Do not. Um, so uh, I will take that. It's a plus two. Brings it to a five. I'm going to put one strain in to max that out at a six. So I'm going in with the six to get the in in movement initiative down as low as possible. All right. Robbie, I'd like you to roll me a luck check, please. Oh, fuck me now. Oh! <laughs> Robbie, your flashlight goes out. No! And I'd like you to make me an athletics check with your dexterity. As when the light on your flashlight fizzles out and you try and tap the thing to make the light come back, you lose your grip. Three and... Oh, I can chuck something on there. Okay. <laughs> I think I will. I'll, I'll add a strain onto it to make it a five. Alright. You feel the rope start to slip away from your hands as you fiddle with your flashlight, and you start to zip down this rope at an alarming speed, but you feel Sally grab you by the collar, and then, with her other hand, grab the rope to slow you down. And because she's such a marvel of engineering, she essentially helps you to slow down enough that you can physically grab the rope without getting rope burn, and stall your descent. But now you're pretty much further down the rope than you thought you were, and you've bumped up against James, who is below you. Sorry. It's fine, just don't fall completely down. We've got a long way to go still. Yeah, um, I'm just gonna stay here for a minute. Sally, that was awesome. She has a very proud look on her face, and she has her hands on her hips, Chest out, puffed out, like, yeah, that's all me. I put a knuckle forward and do like a tiny little fist bump. She immediately makes you put your hand back on the rope and shakes her head no to maybe <laughs> gesture, maybe later. Okay, without, without the laughter, I'd, I'd nod and it's like, you're right, you're right. The rest of your journey down the cliff face passes without incident. And by nightfall, as the moon starts rising into the sky, the six of you finally blessedly reach solid ground. Craig leaves the last rope and his feet just thump heavily onto the dirt. And Holly looks up at the sheer cliff face and she has to yell because now you're on the valley floor, which means you are standing on the edge of a rather large lake. From above your heads, you can see just clouds of water cascading down into this lake. And the roar is just so loud. Holly has to yell to be heard over the din as she says, That went better than I thought it would. Mm -hmm. Robbie, are you okay? You slipped. Look at my hands. 
Yep, just fine. All in one piece. Good. Let's get away from this lake. I can barely hear myself think. I'll nod and just walk away. The six of you make your way into the jungle. Using what flashlights you have left, you illuminate the map that the mysterious man gave you. You're now at the valley floor where the lake turns into a river. You are on the right side of the river. The river is currently to your left. And you are following it downstream. An hour passes by. Two hours. The moon is starting to get higher in the sky. And you kind of figure that it's a good time to stop and hunker down for the night. At this point, you've made enough headway into the jungle that the roar of the waterfall has now turned into a low rumble. And you don't have to shout to be heard anymore. As... Holly, Bob, and Craig set up tents. I would like to know what each of you are going to do to prepare this camp for the night. This, whatever you decide to do, will carry over for the remaining days that you spend in the jungle. And whenever we come across an event that takes up the better part of your day, and then when you have to camp for the night, whatever you choose to do, you can repeat it to skip the dice rolls and gain the same effect to further streamline the session, obviously. How much light do we have left, or is it completely dark? Right now, you still have James's flashlight, as well as Holly and Bob's flashlights. Okay, what I wanted to do, I need the light for. Um, I'd have to do that during the day. Might I suggest foraging using nature? But I need light for that. I mean, I can with a torch, but it's a lot easier with light, as in daylight. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, if someone's willing to lend me their torch, I can try foraging. Holly or Bob can lend you their flashlights to 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 allow you to make this check. And so I'd like you to make me an investigation check with your cognition. And you get a plus one to this because you studied local flora and fauna beforehand all the way back in the city. I, I, will, I will try rolling, but yeah, it's not been my friend today. I'll, I'll take the two. And cognition is at four, so that's a six. And then the plus one, seven. A decent amount of mental strain. Yeah, let's chuck two strain on there. Take that to a nine. All right, nice work. With a nine, you borrow Holly's flashlight and you set out into the forest a short ways away from where you set up camp. As a campfire is made, you use the flashlight to look around the surrounding area, just kind of foraging, trying to look for stuff that you recognize, and you find some of the plants that you read about while you were in the city, the edible ones. And you collect enough of it that you won't be hurting for additions to your food supplies for the remainder of your journey. So the team as a whole will not gain a minus one detriment due to fatigue and starvation, because of your good work foraging. Fantastic. And we have a, a, a bit of flavor for our meals. James and Oro, is there anything you would like to do? I feel fairly well rested. I think I'll uh, take watch if everyone else is going to attempt to sleep. Um, and as far as uh, vigilance for that, I'm going to put the most I can into that of three to get my vigilance to a five. Okay. Oro, what are you doing? I think I'll get a couple extra hours of Shut-Eye, but then, like, early morning, he would like to take, like, second watch, basically, and, like, relieve James so he can get some sleep. Okay. Then I would also like you to set me your vigilance for the remainder of the watch. Going to activate Two senses. I don't have very much mental strain left. And I will do... It'll give me a five. All right. Robbie has settled the camp's food. So because Oro and James are going to share watch, neither of you are going to earn a point of fatigue because you're taking over for each other. And so a new day dawns in this strange, strange land. And the group of you spend the better part of the day, trekking down the valley towards the X that is marked on your map. You'll know that you've reached the right place when you find a clearing next to a 
left turn in the river next to you. And as the six of you are journeying, this place continues to surprise in its beauty and wonder. You see tall, lush jungle trees surrounding this river. They are covered in vines that connect the canopies of these trees. Robbie, as you look closer, you can see that some of these bioluminescent blue flowers that you found further up the river near the city, they are just swaths of them clothing the trunks of these trees closer to the river. Very pretty sight. They are all a shade of deep, warm blue. And it's just hundreds and hundreds of flowers. I would like all three of you to roll me an awareness check with your perception, please. Uh, I'm coming in at a three. I'm unfortunately also going to be going to this with a result of three. Oh no, I'm sorry. My senses would have gone away after Sleepy, so... <laughs> no, I'm coming in at a one. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh boy. Does scouting give any pluses to... It won't give a plus to your role. However... No, but I could do it through Sally, couldn't I? Yes, you could do it through Sally. I'll keep the same roles, but I'll use Sally to do this, because that'll just make it fair. I've done the re-roll, got a plus one, but Sally's perception is a five, which is much better. So that will give us a base of six. And because Sally used all, virtually no strain, I will chuck in three, because... Sally has plenty of strain, so that will take it up to a nine. All right. So none of you except Sally hears something in the distance. Robbie, you see, or rather you feel, Sally sort of startle a little as she's sitting on your shoulder. When you look to your right shoulder, you see that she's got her head up. She's in alert stance. Her ears are up and she's looking around kind of trying to figure out where maybe a sound came from. And then, Robbie, you see it, a flock of strange birds. They appear to have four wings. Their feathers are this just iridescent blue, flecked with gold, and they have beaks like toucans. But there is this huge cloud of them that are flying out of the forest towards you and above your heads. Shortly thereafter, you feel vibrations in the ground that are growing stronger and stronger as they approach you. And I would like all three of you to roll initiative. Oh no. As crashing through the tree line and stomping out onto the riverbank, you see a large animal. It looks like the unholy cross between an ankylosaur a rhino, and a stegosaurus. It's got spines along its back, big plates. It's got six limbs, three on each side, a large rhino-like head with one huge spike on the, on the front of its snout, and a long tail, reptilian, with a sort of spiky mace on the end. And when you see it, it appears to be making some sort of territorial get out of here, this is my space, movements. It's pawing at the ground, it's snorting at you, and it appears to be making to charge. Um, I will be shouting at people to say, uh, stay well away from that Thagomizer, uh, just stay away from it, but don't run. Move, but don't run. Oh, well, I've got a one, so I've got eight. I got a ten. I, with the discipline skill features, I am going to take a plus two in lieu, and that's a once per sesh. Uh, I think it's warranted here, which will bring me to an eight. Initiative order is as follows. Oro, you're first, followed by Robbie, and then James and Holly at the same time, Craig, and then Bob and the Big Beast at the same time. So, Oro, you're up first. This gigantic creature has just burst through the underbrush, and it is stamping at the ground, it is snorting. You don't quite know what it's doing, but whatever it is, it looks like it's going to charge you at any moment. What do you do? And Robbie just said, don't run. Um, all right. Uh, 
I'm going to move to take cover away from a charge beastie coming at me and try not to do it too speedily. So you want to get out of the way of a potential charge, correct? Yes. But you're not approaching it. You're just sort of kind of going around it, yeah? Yeah, like sidestep over here and be like, maybe it won't see me if I like sidestep. <laughs> I then would like you to make me a deception check with your charisma. Uh, the, 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 my two lowest. <laughs> I don't have deception. I only got a plus one in charisma. So here we go. Right, that's a one. <laughs> yeah, no. Whatever it is that you're doing, this strange big creature, it seems to scent that you're the biggest threat in this strange, strange land so far. And it is just locked right onto you as you sidestep away from the group. What Oro thinks he's doing is sidestepping, but what you see is this hunched over, like, big guy snarling and kind of, like, getting down like a predator because his instinct is kicking in. My humanity is now at 43 after what happened yesterday, so, like, I just always look hunched over and have pointed ears, and my eyes are just, like, dark red, just orange, just, like, not it human at all anymore. <laughs> Robbie, your turn. I would like to do some sort of investigation-y type thing to try and figure out why it's charging at us. Are we invading uh, it's specifically its territory? Is it something about this particular spot? Is it a, like a general thing? Is it its favourite feeding space? Are we in... Like, does it have little babies around that it's trying to protect? Or is there something specific that we've done? Or is it a generalized thing? Is there something that I can do right now to fix it? Or Okay, so I can allow you to do either a knowledge nature check with your cognition to figure out if there is something about this creature's physiology or biology that you recognize in animals back on Earth. Or you can do an investigation check with perception to figure out if you are either in this creature's space or you're encroaching on a nest of some kind. You can only do one. Right. I'm going to do the science check because that's my thing. I'm going to use the motivation here and bring in a bond with my um, colleague. Oh, wait a minute. Can I use motivation again? If you've used a particular motivation once a session, you can't use it again. No, it's a different motivation. I mean, if it's a different motivation than the one you previously used, then yes. Yeah. Thinking about all the times in the lab. We've gone out in the field investigating. Oh, that was a minus. That's a minus two. I'm not taking that. <laughs> I mean, the plus one is better than nothing. Yep. 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 So it was a one. I'll chuck a straight onto that as well. Seven. All right. So. With a 7 in your knowledge skill roll, you are able to quickly determine that this creature appears to be scenting the air. You can see that it's taking a lot of short, deep breaths. You can see its nostrils flaring on its snout as it appears to be sort of huffing and assessing the group with its eyes. And then when Oro starts to slowly shuffle his way to the side, you can see that its head is slowly turning to watch Oro. And you realize that this creature has somehow either scented or sensed that Oro is the biggest threat among the six of you and is now fixated on him because it perceives Oro as a threat to its territory that you are suddenly now realizing you're encroaching on. James and Oro, it is your turn. Holly is here too, but she'll go after the both of you. Are we in the same area as this very mad cow? I, I, I don't know what this is. It looks like a cross between some sort of like earth livestock and a dinosaur. You know what? I'm going to spend an initiative for a minor action to turn the camera on. <laughs> Okay. 
you pull the camera out of your pack and it's just beep. It's on now and it's recording. Okay, so that brings me down to seven. Yep. Oro, you still have a go. So what do I see James doing exactly? You see him pull the video camera out of his pack and turn it on. <laughs> uh, okay. Can I attempt to do body language, talk sort of thing, make the, the animal like talk to it, whatever? I don't know. And, and just make it seem like I'm, I want to back down and go away. I don't want to fight you. Um, realizing that I kind of fucked up. <laughs> sure you can. I would like you then to make me either a deception or an empathy check with your vitality. Um, I have a couple of points in empathy, so I will do an empathy check. Ooh, ah, minus three. <laughs> Okay, well, that cancels out my vitality. Um, so I will use the three. It's physical strain, then, because it's vitality, right? I will come in at a three. Do you want to spend the strain to break the tie? Yes. <laughs> okay, so how does Oro do this? You are threatening this huge creature, it's bigger than you. It is wider than you and longer than you. And it is staring directly at you. It's got eye contact with you. What do you do? He takes a couple of steps back and then he stops and he... The only thing that comes to mind, he's a dog. He's a wolf, right? So he like falls over on his back <laughs> and is just sitting there just like making little like dog whimper noises like, hey, mm, mm. I'm okay. <laughs> You're trying to threaten it. <laughs> You're trying to threaten it out of its space by asking for belly rubs. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> doing the submission thing. It's so cute. It's submission, you know? Like they do it. Okay, yeah, yeah I, get, I get it. I get it. But still, it doesn't make it any less ridiculous than a 30 something year old man is doing. <laughs> Oro, you flop onto your back and display very typical canine body language of submission. You are not intentionally stepping into this creature's space. You didn't know that this was its territory. And the creature seems to regard you for a few moments longer. It scents the air. You can see its nostrils sort of flaring. It huffs a few times, but it stops stamping on the ground. And doesn't appear to have the intent to charge you now. Holly has dropped to a knee and she has her sniper rifle in her hands, but she hasn't aimed it at the creature just yet. Instead, if you turn to take a look at her, she appears to be waiting on someone to do something to initiate the violence. But if no one's going to raise a hand to try and slay this creature, she's not going to fire. In game terms, she's going to take... Three ticks of aim. It's spending three initiative to do so. James, Robbie, it's your turn. Craig is also here, but he'll go after you. I'm going to... See, I'm trying to remember how you're supposed to go about such things. This animal tried... Like, it was very focused on Oro. Oro is doing a belly-up gesture... The, this animal has slowed, maybe stopped, and is either confused or is accepting some kind of, like, no, I'm not a threat message from Oro. I'm going to, uh, slowly, not moving too fast, and with the camera still on the creature and now creature and oro um pick up some things and sort of move sideways uh out of its field of view and i if we uh don't have to kill it we don't have to kill it if we can get out of here and it leave us alone we'll leave it alone is it would that be stealth it would be stealth yes with your dexterity it would be stealth there we go we have a two so i'll put the three in and I have to roll that. 
Um, that's a plus one, plus four, six. Uh, I'm gonna take my motivation. Preserve the past, preserve the present, because this is probably some kind of dinosaur. At least I hope it is. So that's a 1d3, which is a 1. That brings me to a 7. Nice. So as Oro is busy distracting this thing, you sort of gesture to the others to follow your lead. And as you maintain eye contact with the creature, you are slowly edging the other way around this creature's perceived territory, moving closer to the riverbank and trying to break line of sight with it. Mm. And you make it a goodly way up the riverbank. At this point, you can see its full side profile. It does appear to be some sort of land mammal, at least land creature, that you can tell. It's the whole six limbs, lots of spikes, big spiky tail. Very much a weird mishmash of different animals and dinosaur parts. You're not quite sure what to make of it. But it hasn't noticed you. It appears to be more focused on Oro. Robbie, what do you do? Um, I'm going to sort of do that thing where like, you, you're sort of trying to speak out the side of your mouth to everyone. Say, we, we are definitely in its territory. Try and move slowly and carefully just out of its sight and away. I'm going to see if I can help Oro out. Um, and I will move slowly and carefully towards Oro, like keeping the creature's sight, like facing it, but very carefully move towards Oro, like keeping low. And then like as if like, I'm going to go and collect them and pull them away. I would say that since you're within this creature's line of sight, you don't have to roll a stealth check. Instead, you're going to be pulling Oro away from it, which means I need you to make me a might check with your vitality to pull him along the floor. And I'm going to be going, come on. Ooh, that's a one. That's not too bad. So, one, that's a five. How much physical strain have I got? Not a lot. Me pulling anyone is a ridiculous idea. I don't know why I even thought of that. Um, it's, it's, it's the thought that counts. Um, I mean, with a might of two, you can spend up to three physical strain. Yes. Technically, I can. I will put one strain into it, because I don't have a lot of strain left, and that takes me to a, give me to a four. All right. With a four, you slowly creep your way to Oro, and then you grab the back of his collar. Oro, you're feeling this, of course. As Robbie grabs the back of your shirt and just starts slowly, painfully dragging you along the ground. <laughs> and you're still back on the floor, belly up, limbs in the air, just staring at this thing as Robbie is ever so slowly, excruciatingly dragging you along <laughs> the ground. Craig is going to attempt to follow James, and he does so with not as much grace as you think, but he is still rather quiet for, like, a nearly eight-foot-tall snake person. Robbie, out of the corner of your eye, you can see Craig duck down against the ground. He gets onto his belly. He goes prone. And he just starts crawling through the grass and the brush down towards the riverbank and is making his way up behind James. Okay. Oro, it's your turn. Unfortunately, it is also Bob's turn and the creature's turn. So I would like to know what is your speed stat? Um, three. Okay, you go first. Can I just help? Robbie drag me, I guess, like to get mo move myself quicker. You could just get up and move away. Yeah, I could do that. <laughs> so because the creature is still watching you, I'd like you to instead make me an athletics check with speed. Uh, okay. Try for a reroll. Oh, it's worse. Okay. And I'll use my three temporary strain to get a seven. 
as the creature watches you, you roll back up onto all fours and you slowly, carefully slink your way out towards the riverbank, joining Craig and James as they make their way along the edge of the river, skirting the supposed invisible edge of the creature's, well, territory. It doesn't make a move to charge you as the six of you regroup a couple of feet downstream, and as you increase your pace and make your way into the forest, it stays there just watching you. This has been Applied Materials, an Orpheus Protocol actual play podcast. A warm thanks to our players tonight. Pinky for playing Robbie, Ross for playing James, Seth for playing Oro. Be sure to follow the show at Applied Mats on Twitter, and we will return in the next episode. Good night. Adam, Rodney, and Dylan continue their preparations for their short journey, where new discoveries and a return to a world on fire await. Next time on Crossroads Part 3.